You know, long ago, a man named Job asked a big question, and it's the question on the screen that sooner or later every human being has to face, and it's this question, if a person dies, will they live again? And I reckon it's a question that we need to ask ourselves today. It's still a relevant question. Is this life all that there is, or is there life beyond the grave? The Christian answer to Job's question is what we celebrate today. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's what we would say is the cornerstone of Christian belief. It's the basis of the Christian's hope. It's not a wishful thinking type of hope, but it's a profound certainty that Christians have about the future because they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I believe if ever there was a message of hope, uh, as Carrie said, needed, we need it today and we need to hear it now. You know, C.S. Lewis, who probably wrote this um, 70 years ago or so, he said this, he said, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that's been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. He had a good way of putting things, C.S. Lewis, didn't he? When he talks about the first fruits, it's this idea that when you have a harvest, you bring in the first bit of the harvest, and it's representing the fact that there's a harvest to come. It's the promise of life after death. Jesus rose from the dead, and there's a promise of resurrection for others. You know, at that moment, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rose from the dead, the church was born, uh, not as an institution, but as a group of people coming to terms with something far, far bigger than they'd ever dared to imagine. It took a seemingly incredible event to change doubt and scepticism to belief. And it was a belief that changed the course of history. You know, I read this week about a, a guy called J Jacob Needleman. He was a uh, Jewish author and philosopher. Um, I think he's still alive. He'd be in his late 80s. Uh, but he was lamenting the fact that we seem to have lost uh, the ability to appreciate the awe and wonder in our world. And he describes the impact that uh, it had when he was at the Apollo 17 launch, which is a long time ago, um, and there were thousands of onlookers, and they were looking from a distance. And he, he says it a little bit like this. He said, um, I remember going to the big NASA night launch at a time when about a 1,000 reporters were covering the event. And I could hear the reporters sounding sceptical as they talked about all the dollars... Uh, that we were spending on this big project when there were so many other needs in the world. And right there across the big lagoon from us was this big rocket about 30 storeys high and the lights were shining on it like a massive spiritual symbol. And the countdown was going on and he could hear Walter Cronkite's voice talking about the launch and everyone was talking around me, people were laughing and the countdown continued. But then we got to 10, 9, 8 and in the final seconds we suddenly saw these huge, brilliant... Uh, flames uh, appear uh, under the rocket and uh, I realised there wasn't a single sound. You see, we were far enough away that the sound hadn't hit us um, but as that first light came across the, 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 the lagoon and reached our eyes, then the sound arrived and it was the most amazing rumbling. It was the deepest, most beautiful sound that any of us had ever heard. It went right through the body and it affected the heart and the huge skyscraper of a rocket started rising and our jaws were dropping. This was a deeply spiritual event. We watched this rocket go up and up. It separated and it turned into what looked like a star. And at the same time, moment, we were all aware that 
there were human beings just like us in the middle of that thing. And then the rocket all but disappeared and yet the silence persisted where we stood. And people were so touched with wonder at what we just experienced together that there was little anyone could say. And uh, J- Jacob Needleman says this. He says, I do recall one of the most cynical reporters simply saying, I had no idea it was like this. I wonder this morning, what do you think it would, be, would have been like if you'd been an observer at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave? I reckon it might have been something similar to what those journalists experienced at the Apollo 17 launch, where they were previously cynical, hardened, callous people. I think their eyes would have been opened as big as saucers. Their jaws would have dropped. A sense of wonder and ecstasy would have filled everybody watching. Feelings that would never, ever be forgotten. But you know, the actual resurrection of Jesus itself is never described anywhere in the Bible. Presumably because no one actually saw Jesus emerge from the grave on that first Easter morning. No one witnessed the resurrection directly. But from that day until now, millions of people have felt the effect. Now, Matthew's description that Josh read for us so well uh, is, is really graphic. And it's, it tells us, it's probably the most graphic description in the Gospels. And it tells us the... Um, the people who, who felt it. And first of all, it says the earth felt it. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The earth shook. It reeled and it rocked. The ground quaked. And uh, the rocks erupted. The earth cracked. Nature itself was aroused. And this, this was an event of, of cosmic significance. But the angels felt it too. The angel felt it. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And he rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. And his, his appearance was like lightning. His robe was as white as snow. What an image that is. Shafts of lightning blazing from this angel with clothes that are shimmering like new fallen snow. And the angel sits on the rock that's been rolled away. What a picture. The guards felt it. They were so shaken with fear that they became like dead men, like corpses. They stood as corpses. The ones who were supposed to be keeping watch over the dead became as if they were dead. You could say they were actually literally scared stiff. (laughs) And then finally, the women. The women felt it. After the Sabbath, as the the first day of the week was dawning, the women go to the tomb. And on seeing the stone rolled away from the opening of the tomb and hearing the angel proclaim that Jesus, Jesus wasn't present, they're filled with wonder and they're filled with joy. And the good news of the resurrection became their message to tell the brothers, they actually meet Jesus there and he says, go and tell my brothers, referring to the 11 disciples. You see, everyone present at that empty tomb felt the effect of the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I wonder this morning, as you sit here on Easter Sunday morning, what effect does the resurrection have on you? Have you heard this story so many times that it just washes over you? What did it mean to the 11 remaining disciples to know that Jesus was alive? And what does it mean for you and me? We're going to look at that this morning. You see, for Jesus' disciples, the message from the women at the tomb was, go to Galilee and meet Jesus there. And they did. And uh, straight after the account of the empty tomb that Josh read to us, we come to the the very end of Matthew's account of the life and, and, and death and resurrection of Jesus. And we come to a little part that's known as 
the Great Commission. It's Jesus' key instructions to his disciples. And I'm going to read it. It's only a few little verses. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want to just pick out three things from this uh, short little passage that I think we want to go away with this morning. Uh, they're significant things that are an outflow of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ. They flow from it. Jesus addressed his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, back in Matthew 4, earlier in the gospel, you, you will read an account there where Jesus is tempted by the devil. And the devil is in the wilderness, he's there for 40 days, and the devil offers the sort of prestige uh, that Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 28, all authority. The devil offers him all authority. The devil says to him in these terms, he took him to the peak of a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said, I'll give it all to you if you'll kneel down and worship me. All the kingdoms of the world, all the glory of them offered to Jesus and without the price that we know he had to pay. And Jesus' response is, get out of here, Satan, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus doesn't give in. N.T. Wright says that would have been a hollow victory. In contrast, Jesus' authority now is the authority of one who's conquered death and by the way of suffering obedience, he's received far more than the devil could, could offer. He's received all authority in heaven and on earth. Paul puts it beautifully in the, in the letter to the Philippians. He says this, Jesus humbled himself in obedience to, to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the resurrection is the defining event of the new creation. There's a new king and his name's Jesus and he has a new kingdom, a new authority and that authority is Jesus and his is the authority under which this new life in this new creation can begin to flourish. And it's a different sort of kingdom. If you went back to uh, the gospel that John wrote in chapter 13, Jesus, it says he knew that God, the Father had given everything to him. He knew his position. He knew that he had all authority. And what does he do? He stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet. No one expected him to do that. That's the sort of king that this new king is. That's the sort of kingdom that he's bringing in. And I wonder today, as we think about this, this idea of Jesus having all authority in heaven and on earth, I wonder for you and me, are we prepared to bow the knee to the one in, on, to, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given? The message of Easter is quite simply that God loves you and God loves me so extravagantly that he was prepared to enter this world in the person of Jesus who lived and died and rose again 
so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be free from guilt and shame, made new from the inside out, born again, as, uh, as the Gospels put it, so that we could become participants in the life of this new, new kingdom under the authority of King Jesus. I wonder if today, this Easter Sunday, might be the day for you to begin to trust, to submit to a new authority in your life, the authority of the risen Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Second, I want to talk about purpose. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you. It's a truly remarkable thing that after the resurrection and in the light of the resurrection, the 11 disciples who at Jesus' uh, crucifixion and death were, were fearless and fearful and powerless, uh, they were cowering in the shadows, they didn't want to be seen. Um, somehow after his resurrection, they're transformed into courageous ambassadors for their king and they're willing to go eventually, initially not to the ends of the earth, but they're ultimately willing to go to the ends of the earth with the good news and they're willing to die for this king rather than deny him. You see, followers of Jesus go with a life-transforming message to share and they share it believing that it's the only message that offers hope to a broken world and they share it because they've been transformed by it themselves. They've come to know Jesus. They've embraced his upside-down kingdom and they've submitted uh, to his authority. And they're motivated and empowered to, to push back the tide of suffering and evil in the present world. They use words, they use actions to do it. They seek to be, as we say at New Community, mercy givers and justice bringers, all in Jesus' name, all the time confidently anticipating that Jesus will return one day and ultimately all things will be renewed. Everything will be complete. Followers of Jesus live with the knowledge that this life, precious as it is, uh, is a brief transitory story in the context of a much, much larger eternal story that culminates in the resurrection of our physical bodies in a renewed heaven and earth. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and uh, you sit here today and perhaps even like me sometimes, you need to recapture the wonder of a time when you first encountered Jesus and you couldn't help but share with others. I remember I, I, I really decided at a Christian camp when I was about 11 years old that, yeah, Jesus is the one I want to follow. And when I came home from that camp, I was a totally different guy. I used to sleep in the bedroom with my younger brother and he must have got sick of me. I wanted to read my Bible to him all the time. I was just passionate about what God had done for me uh, because he'd forgiven me and I was his child. Maybe for you, as you sit here this morning, go and make disciples just sounds like an impossible task in a world that seems so against everything that Christians stand for. How hard is it to go and share that good news message and make disciples? Well, I think the, the, the beautiful thing is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He says that we actually have available to us as followers of Jesus the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray that you, he says, may know God's incomparably great power for us who believe the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand. So if you're ever feeling inadequate 
for the task that God calls you to do. And he says to you, go, make disciples. Remember that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that God gives to the followers of Jesus to do the work that he calls them to do. And I believe that the command to make disciples is as pressing today as it's ever been. I wonder this morning as you sit here, who do you know who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe you've been thinking about them. Maybe you've been praying that God would give you an opportunity to speak something of him to them. Don't stop praying. Go, Jesus says, make disciples. That's our purpose because Jesus is risen from the dead. And finally, I want to talk about presence. This whole gospel of Matthew finishes with these words. Uh, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Interestingly, Matthew began his gospel um, like this, if I've got a slide. No, I haven't. Um, He began his gospel like this. All this took place uh, to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus, who is born a baby and called Emmanuel God with us, at the very end, as he's leaving his disciples with this great commission, he reassures them with the words, I am with you always to the end of the age. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, perhaps the most ordinary daily benefit of the resurrection is this, to follow not a dead, revered teacher, but rather a risen Lord is to have him actually with us. Because of the resurrection, he's not a deceased writer. We know only through his books. He's alive and he's calling to us. You might say, Steve, what is it like to know the presence of Jesus in your life? What is it like to know that he's with me always to the end of the age? We could have a whole sermon on that. I just want to leave with you two or three just short passages that I think sum it up for me. I can be absolutely certain, because Jesus is with me always, that I'm loved. I'm loved by God. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us, Paul says, from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful, wonderful verses. Read Romans 8 sometime. You get to that at the end, but it's just a a magnificent passage about what it means to know the presence of God in your life. And then probably the, the, the thing that I think is really key for us as we think about resurrection and think about that question, if a man dies, will he live again? We no longer need to be slaves to fear. And the writer to the Hebrews put it like this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus in his resurrection frees us from being slaves to the fear of dying. We have the hope of eternal life. If I die, Will I live again? The resounding message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is yes. If you simply put your faith and trust in him, you will live again. And then ultimately, 
The Bible talks about the resurrection of our bodies and souls into a new heaven and a new earth. And although this verse doesn't say it exactly, um, I, I, I haven't got it there. I want to read it to you. The last part of, uh, of the book of Revelation talks about a time uh, when God dwells amongst his people uh, ultimately. You know, we know God's presence now, uh, but one day we'll know it in a, in a way that we don't even know it now. Uh, and, and God, it says, he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people God will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is what John saw in a vision as he saw um, the future unfolded before him and the one who was sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that whole start of a brand new creation which one day is going to be uh, completed uh, in, a, in a way that we can't even imagine. But I just want to leave you with these three thoughts this morning. Have you bowed to the authority of Jesus who said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? Maybe today you need to hear his call to go with his good news message, to get energised again about what it looks like to make disciples for Jesus to start to build his kingdom and be a kingdom bringer in your sphere. And finally, I, I trust that you could leave today absolutely sure that as you go through life, Jesus is present, the one who said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. What effect is that having in your life and mine?